At Combank Health, we understand that health professionals set up a practice to look after patients, not take care of practice admin. That's why our new Smart Health system lets you streamline your payments by handling rebates and reporting, giving you more time for your patients, yourself and the ones you love. Search Combank Smart Health to find out more. Applications subject to conditions, fees, charges and lending criteria. Commonwealth Bank of Australia, ABN 48123124 and Australian Credit Licence 234945. Hey, welcome to the Medicubes podcast, where we bring you all that's good, exciting and sometimes challenging in primary healthcare. I'm Chris Spee, joined by my good friends Kim Pointer and Rivka Hagen. Together we bring a wealth of experience and passion, as well as being in the thick of what's going on in our industry. We used to have a laugh, debrief and chat about all the big issues and what was happening in our own professional worlds and invite you to join us in this conversation. So join us and our invited guests every month to bring you a lighthearted take on the latest, greatest and controversial issues and a few pearls of wisdom along the way. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we meet and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. A hearty welcome from Birupai country. And uh, Rivka Hagen here. I'm meeting you from Jajawurrung country. And a big hello from Turbul and Jagara country. Well, welcome everyone. Today we're talking about accreditation. It's an everyday occurrence. How are we going to plan for your three-year cycle to make accreditation a breeze? What's your thoughts there, Chris? What's your takeaway tip? Oh, look, I think we should have had one of those sound effects like that. Dun, 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 accreditation, <laughs> you know, dun, dun, dun. I don't think there's anything that strikes that sort of visceral response for mm-hmm. PMs and practices like that word accreditation. So really excited to be, you know, dispelling some myths today and actually talking about it in a relaxed and sensible light rather than the hype that can sometimes exist that builds everyone up into a bit of a state. What do you think, Ruth? Yeah, look, I'd agree with that. And I've certainly spent plenty of years as an accreditation surveyor and and certainly with uh, with APAL uh, QIP also. And I was very much aware of the need to just calm the practice team down as you're stepping into their practice and you see the anxiety on their face around the big judgment that's coming their way and that really it doesn't need to be like that. We're really, you know, just wanting to focus on safe, effective systems within your practice to help you all do better. But we know that practices are still very fearful of uh, that notion of accreditation and we're really hoping to take the sting out of that a little bit uh, today. Well, funny you should mention that because guess what? Who we have today with us, we have a very special guest who is going to take the sting out of it and dispel all those myths. So I'm glad that you both have these really exciting thoughts on accreditation because we have Stacey Camboris with us today. And Stacey, I'm really excited particularly about his background. He's a fellow nurse by trade. He's an experienced QIP assessor and registered nurse with over 25 years in the health sector, including positions in healthcare management and policy development in addition to hands-on clinical work. He's worked with organisations across the Australian healthcare continuum, including hospitals, day surgeries, Aboriginal medical services, general practices, and many more. Well, Stacey, I would love to know more about you. How did you get to the position where you are currently today and, you know, from your nursing experience to AgPAL? 
Thanks, Chris, Ripka, and Kim for the opportunity to come and tell my story and to um, assist your audience with accreditation. So my background is I grew up with a brother who had spina bifida, so he was in a wheelchair all his life. He was paraplegic. And I just felt the need to jump into a profession that could help people. So I began nursing and I went through my nursing studies and I think I was the first year of the uh, university training. And then once I jumped out of that, I um, went into the prison system as a, as a registered nurse. And there was a different environment. It was more emergency style nursing and also medical. So it gave me a view of a whole broad spectrum of things. And then once I uh, left the prisons and I left nursing altogether and started a personal training career. And that's gone me sort of being a lecturer in personal training. And uh, I thought, oh, yeah, this is pretty good. And I went back to nursing because I didn't see myself doing personal training for many years to come because it was physically taxing. And then I thought, I'll give um, some management a go. So when I was in the prisons, I was a principal advisor for clinical services. And that's where I got my first taste of accreditation. We're running our uh, prisons through the RACGP prison standards. And I thought, this is pretty interesting. And when I started nursing, I never thought I'd be in that position. And so I continue that. And then I got a beautiful voluntary separation package from the Queensland Health and began my own um, consultancy business. With the consultancy business, it took me to places that I never thought I'd go. I wasn't really a policy writer, a policy reviewer. I wasn't really someone who looked ahead in quality improvement. But as time went on, I really saw the benefit of policies, procedures, and quality improvement, risk management, and felt that, you know, for patient safety and quality of care, this is how all Australians should be treated, no matter what your background is. And from there, I um, got to know the people at AFAL, and I said, come along and be an assessor. So I began assessing and to the fourth edition, and then I progressed to the NSQHS standards, and currently I'm a lead assessor for QIP in the NSQHS standards. Fantastic. What a, a very background you've got there, uh, Stacey. And, you know, some of your answer there sort of leads naturally into the first heart-hitting question that we've got for you, yeah. which is uh, your perspective on the rationale for general practices to undertake the RACGP accreditation. Why do practices choose to do this? I think even if you're not a general practice and you're a health service, you should undertake some set of standards and as a um, guide. The good thing about the RSEGP standards is that they provide a, a guide, a baseline guide for medical practices around Australia on a level that um, allows the basic patient safety and quality care measures. And from there, you can grow and, and improve your practice to be a high-performing practice. But for now, the rationale for general practice to want to take accreditation is just you have a set of guidelines. You have, you have a responsibility to the Australian public to maintain a set of behaviours that flow onto your clients and empower your clients to be part of their healthcare. Yeah, and, and, you know, we're certainly also aware, of course, that many practices also undertake very importantly to obtain access to further funding opportunities, such as the Practice Incentives Program, which is 
intrinsically linked to other funding opportunities, also like the uh, QIPIP program, which loops back into that accreditation space as well. But it is also just that foundational level required for any teaching and training practice. So it kind of really does set them up for that, that baseline access to funding and supporting the growth of practices as well. Uh, what are your thoughts, Chris? Well, I was just going to say that uh, I was lucky enough to be a surveyor for many years and that setting them up for success, Rivka, what you just said there really echoed with me because I know when I was visiting a new practice who were unfamiliar, this was all new and maybe the first time the PM and the, the principal the owner were going through it, it was pretty nerve-wracking, but it was also they had that view that this was how their practice would set themselves up for the future. So I guess, Stacey, having you on the line, my my question is for all those new practices that are unfamiliar with accreditation, they hear about it, they see about it, where do they start and what are some of those hints and tips you'd say to, you know, an A1 cycle practice about to go through it the the first time or looking to go through it the first time? I always say, Chris, uh, take your time, spend Mm. the time in planning your accreditation journey and embark on it as a practice group. It's not one person's responsibility to take a practice through to accreditation. It's everyone's responsibility. The standards talk about different positions having roles and responsibilities. However, the biggest thing that I find is take the time to plan your accreditation journey. And there's a number of resources out there, no matter which accreditation agency you're with. The RICGP has resources. The Commission for Safety and Quality has resources. There's a number of areas, uh, resources out there that you can find and to help you on your journey. The thing that I also find when I go into a general practice or when I used to go into a general practice was just spending the time and talking to each of the staff and the general practitioners and the allied health just to ensure that they understand their roles and responsibilities and how they can help the practice meet accreditation. Yeah, so Stacey, I'm just wondering, what focus areas do most practices struggle with? Well, the uh, Commission for Safety and Quality in Healthcare has brought out an advisory, Kim, and advisory is GP 18.04, and it's a notification of significant risk. So the advisory uh, sets out quite clearly, and it does represent those areas that practices do have uh, struggles with. And the first one is patient identification, Mm. procedure matching. The next one is reusable instruments. We're, we're looking at a lot of uh, general practices now going to more invasive procedures. Then we have medicines that are required to be stored in a secure area. Then we also have the, the management of temperature-sensitive medicines and the process for follow-up of clinical tests, significant tests. So they're the areas that the Australian Commission um, for Safety and Quality have identified as significant risk. And if an assessor goes in, and, um, and if an assessor goes in and they have to report these risks to the Australian Commission of Safety and Quality. Hey, Stacey, can you tell me more about the Australian Commission of Safety and Quality? I feel like a lot of people know about, you know, AgPAL and QIP and the other surveying companies out there, but that's just sort of a, a new name that I've heard a lot over the last few years. So can you sort of tell us about that or where it fits with them and the RACGP? Because I don't think we have enough acronyms. I think we need <laughs> more acronyms. But AgPAL, RACGP... Health quality, um, SQH, you know, uh, I feel like it's very important we have some more acronyms, but acronyms (laughs) are confusing. So where do they fit and how does it fit with the RACGP standards and you as a body and 
um, yeah, just just help our listeners understand that one. So you might have heard of the Australian Commission for Safety and Quality being known as the Commission. Mm-hmm. So the Commission provide uh, resources for general practice. They work in partnership with the RACGP and our accreditation body is overseen by the Australian Commission. So the Commission's goal for an accreditation body is to ensure that assessments are done consistently, everyone is assessed the same, and that the assessments that occur report exactly what's happening in the organisation that we're accrediting. The, The Commission is quite a valuable resource. If you have time, jump onto their website and you'll see a number of resources from advisories, which general practice has to follow a number of those advisories, and then also with their training as well. It's free training most of the time. Oh, that's awesome. Free training. Um, That's always good. I was was thinking about something you said there before, Stacey, about using those free resources. It always surprised me the number of practices that reinvent the wheel, go and create their own templates and things like that, where you can sort of jump online and use those sort of things to uh, to save you having to invent them and, and free up your time to focus on actually implementing rather than creating. Yeah, Chris, I agree. Like the um, general practice accreditation has been around for a number of years. It's not anything new. There's a number of resources out there. The thing that we do find when we're out on site is we find that some organisations don't tailor them to what is happening exactly in the organisation. Mm. And there's just little things like with your templates, make sure you don't keep insert practice name in your template and provide that in your self-assessment or during accreditation. You really need to spend the time to go through the templates or what is provided and make sure it is exactly to what you are, your processes within your practice. Yeah, I think that's something that George said the other week when we spoke about policies and procedures and HR and so much of this types of accreditation that you can't just have a policy, hey, and then just say everyone's read it. It needs to be a living, breathing, useful document to bring it to life and and have the weight to it. That's correct, Chris, because templates are designed at a period of time. And from that period of time to when you use those templates, legislation changes and people, organisations need to keep up to date. And um, if you plan your accreditation correctly, it's not up to one person to change all these documents or to review these documents. There is a very simple way, which I think I can talk about a bit later if we have time, to plan your accreditation journey. Great. So on that note, Stacey, I'm just wondering, how do we become a high-functioning team and build culture around practice accreditation? You've just uh, led some tips and tricks there, but... What's your thoughts about getting that culture right around doing it always rather than sometimes? Yeah, it's a common theme. You need to get everyone on board. So if everyone comes on that boat, it goes in the same direction. You're not going to get people on board if they don't know what they're in for. They don't know what the future is. They don't know what standards they're meeting or what they have to do. It's like with anything. It's not knowledge needs to be shared in relation to accreditation. So your health professions, your staff, They're not just focused on their area. They can walk to the practice and say, hey, that's not right. I need to put an improvement or need to tell someone. So everyone needs to be across most of the standards and planning your journey. You can issue tasks to people well in advance. And I always go by the notion of review, audit, and train. So When you review something, you're reviewing a policy, you're reviewing a process, a procedure, you're auditing that in your mind at the same time, and then you're training the people 
your your practice staff in that policy and procedure, and then they can say to themselves, hang on, that's not what I do. We may need to change this, so let's have the discussion, let's put an improvement in, and so the whole quality process begins. So, um, Stacey, too, can you give us some insight, especially for the more experienced practices or practice managers, how can they kind of step up to the next stage of their performance as far as compliance and accreditation and, and risk is concerned? What are some of the, the hot tips that you've got around uh, around that for the more experienced managers? <laughs> I always um, come to the notion that you know anything you can do above the standards is a benefit to your practice and your patients. I always look at what other standards, what other frameworks can provide and also how they can assist your practice in moving to that next step of being a high-performing practice. So you, in general practice, you don't have to sit with the RSUGP standards. Uh, you can draw from other standards to get some ideas. So we find that um, another area is when your practice team, so general practice may have some dietitians come in, physiotherapists, other professions. It's always good to understand what standards that those health professionals go by. And give us a hint, um, I'm suspecting you're talking about the NSQHS primary healthcare standards. Am I right or am I wrong? Yes, the uh, National Safety Primary Healthcare Standards are coming into play. Uh, we don't actually know how they're going to affect general practice currently. The Commission will bring out some advisories in the near future. The primary healthcare standards are different type of standards. So most, I'm not sure if people are aware that there is a National Safety and Quality Healthcare Service standards, which hospitals and day surgeries and some community uh, dentals utilise. There are different set of standards to our ECGP standards, but with the National Safety Primary Healthcare Standards, they're more adapted to primary healthcare. So they're not as stringent or not as large as their I'll call them their brother standards, National Safety and Quality Standards, but they're more focused at primary healthcare. And having a look at those standards and drawing on some of the themes within those standards to support the RSEGP standards will assist your practice in also going to that next level. Stacey, hey, I've got a question um, that always pops up. When the surveyor visits the clinic, do they have to find things to mark them as not met? Like, you know, people always say they're looking for something so they can mark it not met. I think I know the answer, but let's dispel that rumour once and for all. No, we hope that when um, we visit a clinic that they're ready for accreditation and everything is met. What I do when I go on site, I look for improvements. From our experience in going to multiple practices or multiple organisations, you can draw on that experience and suggest improvements to the practice. It's always good to go into a practice that you know and confident that they meet all the standards because you can really focus on mm. taking that practice to the next level and suggesting improvements. Uh, we don't have a quota, Chris, on not mets or anything like that. To tell you the truth, when we find a not met, it takes us more time. So we hope that, you know, practices are ready for accreditation. Yeah, I was going to say that when I was a surveyor, the not mets took a lot more time than the mets. Mm. So um, I think, uh, and, and River, you probably comment this, that I went in with the approach that, um, we want to help everyone do awesome and we want to share the learnings that we get from visiting so many amazing clinics so we don't have to to reinvent the wheel. So, um, you know, my tip would be approach today collaboratively to your surveyors that are visiting you. Because if you, as a practice, approach it with the way that, oh, what can I learn from you today to make a better clinic? 
everyone's in a more positive frame of mind because yeah. today's a learning outcome, isn't it? It's not a sort of looking backwards outcome. Yeah, look, I'd, I'd agree with that completely, Chris. And, and I suppose one of my thoughts around the same theme is also that within the fifth edition standards, and that's quite different from previous editions, practices have a lot more flexibility in terms of how they provide their evidence to indicate that they've met a standard. And that was, uh, you know, that's both introduced flexibility, but also a little bit of complexity around does this evidentiary proof meet the intent of the standard? So there's a fair bit of thinking that goes around that. But the good thing about that is, is that smaller practices, the solo practices, will have a different level of proof requirement from the larger multi-scale practices. So there is that differential that means that you need to think about how does the standard apply to my practice, my circumstance, our community, and does that pass the pub test, I guess you would call it. So that, that flexibility is important for practices to understand that in many cases that does exist. I remember visiting um, you know, a, a husband and wife practice um, and and with the fifth edition, there was that flexibility to let them demonstrate how they met the standards, you know, in their meetings and how they kept them rather than having other things. So um, I think that's been a fantastic way to, to move forward. Stacey, what's your hey. thoughts? Oh, it's also different uh, in metropolitan and rural areas as well. Mm. Like when you know you've gone into a practice that meets the standards, you can give them advice on not just the standards but how to improve their workflows or just little things that, that are niggling within the practice and make them a better practice all around, not just from the standards. And that's that's really the true value of the process of accreditation mm. too, isn't it, Stacey? Yes. So I guess we're wrapping up today's session. It's been a really interesting bit of a deep dive into the RACGP and the NSQHS standards. And uh, I'm not sure that we've completely covered the conundrum of acronyms and what it all means, but we hope that this has given a little bit of clarity, especially for the anxious and confused practice managers to feel confident about going into their preparation for accreditation to achieve success and elevate the performance of your practice. Stacey, you got any final thoughts or any bits of a whole one hot tip to, to feed yourself on? Yes, just take a calm approach, plan when you can, and before you embark on the journey, talk to people. You're not alone. You're not going to give any trade secrets away if you've made a relationship with a practice in another suburb or another practice manager. Get as much assistance as you can. Talk to people who know. Get on some chats. Get onto some podcasts. It is a process and it's pretty black and white. And what you need to do is just plan the journey and be calm. So it sounds like you're saying the opposite of what we know from Medicare, which is always, you know, this hotly contested debate about what's your interpretation of it, right? You're saying it's very clear, get your education, do it always and enjoy the process of, of what you might be able to potentially create when you have an accreditor come on board for the future of your practice and, and your community. Yes, Kim, and, and the information is there for everyone. It's, it's readily available. It's no secret to it. So um, just take the time and, and try to find the information. Ask people. I know there's multiple groups out there who quite regularly give advice, so go for it. Well, thanks so much, Stacey. It's been such a joy 
having you along and spending some time talking about all things accreditation. As Chris said, we needed the do-do-do. I feel like now we've got a lot more of an optimistic lens on that music that you put us into there, Chris. What would you, your final tips um, be, Chris, in terms of what melody you might play at the end of today? Would it be a lot more flowery, a little bit oh, less look, dramatic? Just... just- just something with happy, feeling happy. happy. All so right. Feeling happy. You know, like I'd approach the day being happy, extra donuts. Um, we always gave our crackers a pizza party once we'd finish the accreditation visit in the morning. So, you know, uh, look, food I'm, and I'm, happiness. I'm seeing champagne and gin. That's, that's my <laughs> mental imagery At the there. End of the day. <laughs> I say celebrate your win. Like it's a, it's a big yeah. process. And at the end of it, make sure you celebrate. Thanks for listening to the Medicubes podcast. Make sure you subscribe via your favourite podcast listening app so you don't miss an episode. Medicubes is brought to you by Cubico, MediCoach and Medical Business Services with technical support from the awesome crew at Talking Health Tech. This podcast presents information of a general nature and we recommend that you obtain professional advice for your individual circumstances always. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions and suggestions for future topics on the show. Make sure you visit us via the Minicubes website, which you can access via the show notes of this episode. Also, if you're enjoying the show, write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with someone who might get some value from it so we can continue to share these important messages with more people. Speak to you next time.